0: Welcome to Activate, a podcast for mobile marketers brought to you by Remerge. Take a short break from your screen and listen to what's working in mobile marketing and what's not, straight from the people who are doing it now. Are you ready? Let's get started.
1: Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Aptivate podcast. As always, I'm the host, Tommy from Remerge. Really excited to be here today to talk to one of our partners. The company, often on this podcast, we're talking to marketers on the advertising side of the business, meaning working on brand side. Today, we have the wonderful privilege of talking to someone who has a ton of experience working for a wonderful digital platform, someone that we've been really excited to talk to for a long time, Scott Tompkins. Scott, how's it going? Thanks for joining us today.
0: Good. Thank you, Tommy, for having me. Uh, looking forward to uh, having some good conversation.
1: And I just realized, uh, again, for our listeners, I screwed up immediately. Um, (laughs) Scott is the SVP and GM of the U.S. at Digital Turbine. It's very important that I tell everyone what you actually do. So apologies in advance there, Scott. But again, thank you so much. Really excited to have you on the line. Would love to hear about who you are. What you're working on, I would love for everyone who isn't familiar to learn about a little bit about Digital Turbine as well. So could we potentially start there?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So a little bit of background. So I've been ultimately uh, in the industry for the last eight years with the same company. We did go through an acquisition at one point. So originally started off as Appia back in uh, 2012. We were one of the first mobile performance ad networks in the space. I think we were trying to see if there was anybody doing non incentivized CPI app install campaigns back then. I'm not sure there was. It was back in the early days where my main competitors were guys like Flurry, Tapjoy, Free My
1: Apps, that sort of stuff.
0: Exactly. So it's been a long time and lucky that uh, we had some great success there. And back in 2015, uh, got acquired by a company called Digital Turbine, where we are now, and came into uh, having some very unique technology and some unique inventory. And it's been kind of rocking and rolling since to kind of give a background about what we do. Uh, We're in a very unique spot where uh, we've got a a piece of technology that allows us uh, to do a number of things on Android devices. And uh, we ultimately partner up with carriers and OEMs around the globe, helping the carriers and OEMs uh, monetize their devices while helping advertisers and brands get their applications in front of the consumers at the time that advice is activated for the first time in market. So we're ultimately solving that problem of you're an app developer or you're a brand and it's how do I get my app in front of somebody to discover? And we're able to do that direct to the device uh, to kind of uh, clear up the mess of, of having somebody have to go through the Play Store and discover who you are. And so uh, we've been very fortunate in what we do. In the U.S., we cover about 70-75% of all Android phones sold daily through partners like Verizon, AT&T, U.S. Cellular, Cricket, TrackPhone, and a few others. And then internationally, uh, we've grown very well in the last couple of years to uh, working with people in Latin America, like American Mobile just finished doing our, our first couple months with Samsung Direct in about 50 regions throughout Europe, Latin America, APAC, etc. And so we touch about uh, 400,000 newly sold devices a day in market, which puts us in a very unique spot in terms of size, growth, and reach that we're able to provide our our partners.
1: That's so many devices, 400,000 every single day. That's crazy, man. What's crazy when you think about it, man, those are all devices that are literally coming out
0: of boxes. It puts us in a great spot.
1: That's awesome. I want to backtrack because you did say something that we very rarely hear on this podcast, and that's that you've essentially been at the same company for eight years. Is that right?
0: Yeah, that is true, man.
1: (laughs) That's like never hear that ever. Tell me about that. Like, is it hard being at a company that long or because you pivoted, did that make it easier? Or is it just the people who have kept you there?
0: No, it's a combination of everything. So uh, I was lucky. I was the first sales guy into Appia. And so uh, brought in our first dollar of revenue as an ad network. And part of it is, it is uh, very near and dear to my heart. But at the same time, like the second thing you point on is it's the people. So we're in a real unique spot where uh, I think there's two people that started before me that are still here. One of them started two weeks before me, but then uh, we've got about five or six people that all joined the company in 2012 that are still around, which is wild to say. So like, I think I was employee number 10 and I think we've got a good handful that were in the first 20. And so that's really kind of what's done it is surrounding yourself with good people that everybody kind of has that, let's get shit done attitude. And let's do it right. And so uh, it's been great. And I think part of it is too is the learning experiences, kind of going from a, a small startup to a public company doing a hundred plus million dollars a year, and what we've been able to learn. And we keep surrounding ourselves with good people. Uh, I'm a big believer, and put people smarter than you around you because you learn. Kind of throw the ego to the side. That said, uh, I am a sales guy, so there's always an ego. But I'm never afraid to make sure that every conversation I have, I learn something from. So uh, yeah, eight years going, man. Sometimes I sit back and just go, wow, what a ride. And
1: what I do know is I won't trade it in for anything. That's awesome. And you're in San Francisco too, right?
0: Yep. And I'm actually, it's a good hub. I started in North Carolina, California boy, and then just realized that the Bay Area is the right place for us to be in this industry.
1: Yeah. It's also, I mean, it makes it that much more impressive that you stayed because it's like, you could walk out your door and, and probably find some good offers in, in a few days because there's just it's San Francisco, so there's everything there. So good for you! I hope you're there eight more years at least, and it's that's really really interesting. I'm glad you guys have built such a su- successful team. Like I, from the outside coming in, right? I see a challenge with the product in that you are. Very unique, right? If I look in the advertiser's perspective, right? Most advertisers are probably... advertising. I keep saying that. From the brand's perspective, right? Most marketing managers are most used to, I imagine, buying ads, buying search, doing SEO, doing SEM, all those kind of standards, CRM, whatever, right? Everything that you'd expect. You guys don't really fall into necessarily any of those categories, right? Like, because you're not serving ads on devices. You're just helping put products in front of people, but in a way that isn't an ad. Is that accurate?
0: Yeah, it's pretty accurate. That's probably been the biggest struggle we've had in terms of our success in getting the reach out to the brands and advertisers that we work with. And it, we kind of sit in the middle of a performance world, which everybody in mobile loves because it's measurable, in a branding world where your uh, average consumer opens up their phone 100 plus times a day. And to be able to open the phone and see a brand's app, it, it definitely says a lot and draws some attention. And so that's kind of where... Uh, we sit in a very unique spot and it's taken us a long time to be able to tell the story. And the good news is we've had some great partners with us over the years that uh, haven't been afraid to share the success that they've seen with us and share the story You know that we've been able to do for them because the reality is we're really unique. I'm going to make two statements right now that probably is going to catch you off guard, but I'm going to say it with confidence. There is no other company in the world that can deliver an app to more phones in a day than we can, and there is no other inventory in the world that is as fraud-free as we are. And to be able to say those two things is kind of ditching.
1: Yeah, that is pretty sick. The first one, deliver more apps to phones than anyone else, right? That was it? Yep. Yep. You think I have to have to challenge it, right? You think like more than Google or more than Facebook, for example. You're the average spender on Facebook. Let me ask you this: How many installs, how
0: many devices do you think you get installed a day by buying ads through Facebook?
1: Oh, that's true. Yeah, that's a shitload of money. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and then how many ads a day do you think Google could reach? Now, obviously, I'm only touching new phones, but you look at trying to get your app onto a device. You come partner with us tomorrow. I can put you on 120 to 150 thousand
1: phones. In the U.S. only. Makes sense. And the fraud thing makes a lot of sense, right? Because these are new phones. And do you guys have like a process of certifying that these phones are in fact brand new out of the boxes or anything that goes into that? Or do advertisers challenge you guys on that at all? Well, you know how advertisers are. They like to challenge everything. I think the people we work with
0: kind of speaks for it all. So like while the advertisers are my customer, the people who do all the background checking, everything are the Verizons, AT&T, Samsungs of the world. And so like they know what their device sales are. I mean, they're checking their numbers on a daily basis and making sure things match up. And so how we operate is uh, pretty unique in the fact that so we've got a piece of technology called Ignite that say when Verizon orders all their brand new phones from Samsung, they say, hey, Samsung, we want you to place Ignite onto this device as part of before you ship them to us. And so everything we do kind of happens in real time, where traditionally, like if you wanted to follow a, a preload type model, you'd go to Samsung, kind of seven-figure check, go through six months of negotiation, they put you on phones, those devices may sit on shelves for 18 plus months. And for us, everything we do is real time. So you walk into a Verizon store, when that device is turned on and activated for the first time, it makes a, Ignite makes a call to our ad server where we're placing our partner's full APKs onto that device ready to be executed. And so I see the AAID before Google does, and it puts us in a lot of challenging spots at times. So, you know, like uh, the MMPs, one of the fraud metrics they have is have we seen this device before? And if they haven't, they want to market fraud. Well, it took us a little while to explain to them, well, hey, nobody has seen this device before and you should take the fact that we are seeing it as it being real and a valid device. And so uh, we've had a, a few challenges. My Advertisers like to, to throw the challenge flag up whenever they can, but versus when our ad network days existed, I can talk confidently and kind of where we sit. That totally makes sense.
1: You brought up another good point, right, around kind of the third-party attribution providers not necessarily knowing how to handle you guys, right? And that, to me, kind of segues nicely into one of the questions I want to ask, which is around kind of just performance KPIs. Again, coming back to the idea that you guys, you're just a very unique offering. Like you said, you had two statements before that no one else can do, right? So you sit alone in some regards. Do you find it challenging determining what KPIs should look like for the advertisers that work with you guys? Like, do they try to kind of take what they're doing on Facebook and put those results on, Digital? sorry, do they try to apply the KPIs they have on Facebook and bring those to someone like digital turbine? And if so, does that make sense or not?
0: Yeah, I think that's a great question. And one that me and my team uh, face daily. And so like the reality is you walked into a machine zone or a, gsn or king.com three to four years ago and there were 200 to 300 partners they were working with and for valid reasons the, those lists have been cut down very very slim to where there's probably about 20 40 max partners the average advertiser works with and everybody kind of has built an algorithm on the back end and some business intelligence that says hey this is what a quality user looks like seven days in 21 days in etc and They've built ultimately their user acquisition off that model. And I think I kind of throw a challenge flag at it because I think in this day and age, you can't look at everything the same. Everything's a little bit different. You see a lot of app commercials on television. You know, I question how well they measure that. But ultimately, I think all ad units can be effective and ultimately perform differently. And what I mean by that is, you know, a Facebook banner ad, that that seems to be everybody's go-to. Bottom line is Facebook's targeting their capabilities, along with Google, second to none. And I think they provide a lot of great success to the people out there. And there's other channels to explore. But a Facebook banner ad is going to perform differently for a gaming company versus like a playable ad unit. And then it's going to perform differently versus a video ad which is then going to perform differently than us preloading your app onto a device. And for a lot of ways, you know, like a playable ad unit, the consumer gets to experience the game before they actually click that install button. And so you're going to generally get a a very high converting, high quality user. A Video ads going to do ultimately the same. It's going to make them want to see the gameplay where a banner ad, they don't have much to work with. They're kind of exploring, so it may not back out as well. But if the targeting is there, it's great. Where for us, like we're putting your app in front of consumers, kind of beating them to the bubble of being able to discover you. And some are going to love it. Some are, you know, may not. Some of them are going to take their time to explore it. So like if I preload Candy Crush on a new Verizon device, you're probably not going to open it in the first day or two. You're experiencing your new phone. You're seeing how things work. It may not be until... 20, 30 days later that you're sitting at the doctor's office waiting to get your root canal done. And you've got some free time to play Candy Crush. And that's where we kind of hook them. And additionally, like it's been very hard. You've got a lot of advertisers that want to hold to a 7, 14, etc. day window. And for us, that just simply doesn't work. And the scenario I kind of like to use with that is if you're a travel app, I've seen some of them over the years try to move down to like a 24 hour attribution window. And if that works on some channels, great. But for us, you got to think the average American travels once to twice a year. So if you buy a new phone in February, it's not going to be until say maybe July that you plan a trip. And a lot of those cases, you're going to open the app for the first time. Ultimately with the way attribution works, we may get credit for it or we may not, but where I kind of challenge that industry is travels, a, a complicated industry where there's a lot of guys who do the very same exact thing. And it's arguable. They all do the same thing just as well as the other. And so Would you rather, for a small fee, get your app on that device so you're there in front of their eyes when they want to book a trip? Or would you rather take the risk of them going to the Play Store where there's 20 of your competitors who all do the same thing and being lucky that you're the one of 20 they pick? And so there's a big branding factor to what we do that takes some time for advertisers to see. And our biggest challenge has been we require generally a minimum 60-day attribution window which people fight back on. But what I would say is where our smart advertisers really gotten is understanding that long-term funnel, that long tail attribution and being able to see that, hey, yeah, it's possible that somebody may not open my app for 60 days and still prove out to be a fantastic user for us.
1: Yeah. And it's also possible that like, (laughs) this is just me saying my opinion, it's also possible and honestly, probable that all these efforts kind of just work together in some capacity, right? Like, And just the experience of having an app preloaded onto a phone creates a different experience for that consumer. And that inherently has value, right? And maybe that's part of what you're getting at here, right? It's not that. Maybe part of the answer is to not judge something like Digital Turbine against Facebook metrics or against Google metrics or against search metrics or whatever the case may be. Maybe it's just to think of them more holistically and say, does this add value to the consumer's experience with my particular brand? Does that sound at all on par with kind of what you're getting at? yeah, you
0: nailed it. I mean, like you look at branding one one you take Charmin, for example, like I see the commercials with the cute little teddy bear and I'm not looking to buy toilet paper right away, but I've got three kids. So we go through a lot of it and they like the cute little teddy bear. So when we're going through the aisle at Target, that's what they want because it's in their head. And like uh, a good use case is there's a gaming company out there that a couple years ago, put a, a pretty girl on a commercial and ran some Super Bowl ads and what was crazy was seeing the lift of apps we had pre-installed that never been open all of a sudden on Super Bowl just start opening up because the app's already there on the phone and somebody's watching the commercial, go, man, I got that game. Let me see what it's about. And so that's really where we talk about multi-touch attribution in the industry, and nobody does it well. For one, you've got a lot of conflict, and it's not until us as partners, advertisers, MMPs all sit down and determine who's gonna get a piece of what. But I think it's something that's missed a lot from the advertiser standpoint is really truly seeing the value of what multi-touch attribution is, which is a rabbit hole of a conversation and leads into a lot of heated conversations that I've had kind of going around the industry for a little while. But it's something you can't miss. And it's all a full package of what you're putting in front of consumers.
1: Yeah, 100%. No, I love that example. I've Pretty much positive referring to Kate Upton Machine Zone. But I love the the example there because it does show so clearly how these things are married to one another, right? And if you look at each specific marketing tactic you use as solid from another one, you might not find the results you're ever looking for with almost anyone, right? And that almost draws me to another question of, do you think that maybe performance marketers, I know this sounds like a silly thing to ask, but I don't know how else to ask. Do you think we're like almost two numbers driven to some degree? Yes. Now, I said that very
0: quickly. I think there are a number out there, a number of performance marketers out there that truly see it. I think there's also a number of marketers out there who have limitations to the BI and the tooling in front of them that doesn't allow them to see it. But I think that's changing. If I have somebody come to me and say, hey, look, the only way I'm going to work with you is if you hit this seven-day retention metric, my answer generally to them is, well, this isn't going to work and there's a good possibility i'm going to hit that but if you're going to be that narrow in your focus of what you're actually buying you're not thinking correctly and it's amazing how many people i've said no we're not interested in doing that let us know if your kpis change eventually i think what it does is it turns them away and says hey somebody just said no to my money but i'm doing it for their own good and i think what's been surprising is how many have come back either weeks or months later and said you know what we're starting to look at things very differently. I think now's a good time to try it. And so while my CEO probably hates me when I, I turn away money, I think the bottom line is people need to think differently in how they spend it and what their metrics are. And you've probably experienced it just as much as I have, where you start with an advertiser and they have a certain KPI. Six months later, that KPI changes. Six months after that, they come back and say, hey, both of those KPIs were completely wrong and we're now doing it third way.
1: Yeah. No, we definitely come across stuff like that, right? For sure. And I think part of this is like, it does come from just the performance mentality of that, hey, you got to be here in a seven-day window or a 14-day window or some multiple seven window, which, which is, I think, silly in and of itself. But the problem with the approach that we see with a lot of performance marketing is it devalues ancillary components of what a vendor might be providing, right? In your case, you're providing, again, This is all just my kind of opinion, right? So you could disagree. But part of what you're providing is unique customer interaction with a particular brand and also efficiency and good customer experience of being able to engage with that brand, right? That has inherent value that might not be as easy to determine within a 7-day, 14-day, whatever attribution retention model or whatever someone has. So applying kind of single models over every channel maybe just is not the answer in terms of performance marketing. And maybe we do need to take more of a branding approach overall.
0: Exactly. And I think too, like uh, people need to take a deeper dive into what their partners are providing. We're at a unique spot where we do, we do a host of, of things, not just deliver the app onto the phone when it's turned on for the first time. We're able to deliver push notifications to our carrier's whole user bases. Whereas traditionally, like if you're Yelp, you can only deliver a push notification of the users that have your app, where with how we operate and our closeness with our partners, we're able to deliver push notifications to full user bases. We've got another product uh, called Single Tap, which is very unique in the fact that since I can deliver an APK directly to a device that has our technology whenever we want. We're helping our partners increase their conversion rates in cross promotion. So if you're a game that's got a a company that's got a couple match three puzzle games and you want to help increase conversions to other ones, instead of clicking the ad to go to the Google Play Store for the next title, we're able to deliver that app directly in the background when they click the install button. So guys like Yelp who see a high conversion in mobile web traffic and in app users monetize better for them. We're able with our technology so that when you click the, you're on the mobile web page and you see the, hey, get the Yelp app while you're on their mobile web page instead of getting redirected to Google Play, we're able to deliver that app directly in the background. And so once it's done installing, open it up right away. You're then seamlessly Deep link to where you were. And so I think it's important to be able to provide your customers a number of different products to better help their business. And so it kind of goes into what you guys are doing as well. You know, I know we've partnered with you guys through a, a few advertisers that have worked with us. And there's been a, a number of different use cases that you guys have ultimately been able to help them out with, whether it's users that we've preloaded apps on that haven't opened them yet, whether it's users that open and interacted for a period of time, but then ultimately stepped away. You guys have been great at offering a suite of different services to help them re-engage with that client. Oh, thanks, Scott. I appreciate that.
1: We're doing our best over here. <laughs> it obviously is a pleasure working with y'all. And, and again, I really value what you guys bring to the table in terms of having a unique offering. And I, I really, really appreciate the fact that it's basically, or it is fraud-free, right? In a world that we live in, where fraud has been rampant for years, in part due to some of what we were doing a long time ago with the incense stuff, probably. Well, there was a point in time uh, we didn't know what was happening. I know, exactly, <laughs> yeah.
0: In retrospect, it was wild, but like, uh, we were an emerging industry. And unfortunately, there were some bad players. And unfortunately, where there's money to be made, There's going to be people trying to take advantage of it. And so, uh, no, like it's been good to watch how the industry's changed. You know, obviously it's for the good for all of us, especially for the advertisers, but like it goes to KPIs. I mean, there was a point in time where uh, UA guys were incentivized by how many new users they could bring in. So, you know, everybody had their different incentives on on what they needed to get done.
1: It's so true. All these things go hand in hand. I used to, when I I talked to some partners back in the day, it's if you give someone a, a dollar CPI target for non-incent traffic, and you want good quality users, you're probably doing the wrong thing altogether, right? And and you're not going to get what you're paying for because it is literally just a supply and demand market where these prices have certain costs for a reason. But looking towards 2020, I'm curious about your thoughts because we've talked a lot about kind of the marriage between performance advertising, brand advertising, and how we should potentially be looking at KPIs and how maybe we're even too number driven and maybe even impatient to a degree right looking forward to 2020 do you think that the mentality will continue to shift obviously you know at digital turbine you guys have seen tremendous growth and you've done some awesome work but do you think the mentality will keep shifting towards i don't want to say like a branding mentality but do you think performance markers will start to adopt that more and more going into next year
0: so uh, are we finally going to hit the year of brands coming into mobile next year you think (laughs)
1: <laughs> I do. I already see it, right? Like if you go yeah. into any QSR restaurant, they're all advertising their apps. So I think, yeah, absolutely.
0: I think so too. We've been saying it for a couple of years, but I think this is finally the year. And so what I think that's also going to do is you're going to see the bigger brands come in and open the eyes to the performance marketer that there is a K factor that needs to be looked into things. I think ultimately the goal of marketing is return on ad spend. And I don't think that's ever going to go away. But I think that there's going to be a different value that's finally realized by branding. It's why you see Machine Zone doing TV ads. You look at guys like Seriously, their best fiends and, and the campaigns and, and like, I love it, man. I would never discover that game in any other form other than watching a commercial. I think we're going to see the brands coming in. And I think what that's going to do is, is you're starting to see it is a brand mentality coming in where there's that multi-touch cross-interface interaction with a consumer that needs to happen. If you stay too narrow focused, you're going to lose audience. I mean, there's a lot of people who don't touch Facebook. And so, like, if you're dropping all your dollars in Facebook, my mother is never going to know who you are. And she's a candy crush demographic. And so, like, I think we're going to see a lot of changes happening. And I think, too, we're going to see a lot of changes in technology on how to measure it. I think some of the MMPs, while the, uh, I will say up front, some of you guys are listening, you've been a bane of my existence at times over the last few years, but uh, I got a strong relationship and I appreciate each and every one of you at the same time. I think they're coming out with new tools of measurability that's going to kind of revolutionize how we're doing things. And uh, everybody's going to get smarter. And I welcome, man. I look forward to it. It's been really interesting watching just how the industry's matured, how the thought process has matured. I'm glad I'm somewhere uh, where we get to be at the front of it, and I hope uh, I got another eight years of it in front of me.
1: Hell yeah, man. Well, with that, we'll conclude this. That was awesome, Scott. I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. That was super insightful. I always love talking to salespeople because I just feel such a high degree of empathy for everything they're going through. And I'm sure you feel the same way. So uh, it's been an absolute pleasure having you. And I hope we can maybe host you again at the end of 2020 or sometime in the near future and kind of get an update on where you guys are at and what you're thinking for the next few years. Cool, right on, Tommy. I appreciate it, man. Anytime, bro.
0: Thanks for taking a break with us and listening to our weekly episode of Activate by Remerge. If you enjoyed what you heard, leave us a follow-up review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. The more people you tell, the further we can spread these awesome
1: mobile marketing insights. See you next week.